Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Massimo Buti, head of equity at SDX, the digital asset exchange and central security depositories owned by the Six Swiss Exchange and Post Trade Services Group. Thanks for joining us, uh, Massimo. Thank you very much, Dominic. Now, your background is in exchange-traded derivatives. How do you think that's coloured your approach to digital securities? Um, more than coloured, I think that I can draw some parallels uh, between uh, uh, the world of derivatives and uh, the world of, uh, of digital securities. Uh, one is clearly innovation. Uh, derivatives uh, have been uh, at the forefront of financial innovation for the best part of 20 years. And that uh, has given me a certain awareness of how to uh, deal and how to cope sometimes with innovation, but uh, but also how to, uh, how to always look at uh, the development of products and services uh, on a specific uh, asset class or on a specific market as a continuous innovation process. And uh, I think that that is very useful because that is the way that basically DLT and, and DLT-based technologies operate, uh, these continuous cycles of, uh, of, uh, of rapid uh, development and, and change. Uh, I think that the other thing is that uh, uh, innovation in derivatives has always been seen as a, uh, uh, as a way to improve efficiency. And, uh, and uh, I don't want to be reductive, but we always saw ex- efficiency in, uh, in, uh, expressed into, into areas, uh, better, uh, better operations, better risk management, improved margins. And I think that uh, uh, looking at the uh, at the innovation space uh, in uh, in the DLT world, uh, uh, that is also uh, the same the same guiding principle. Well, as you say, uh, in the exchange traded derivatives markets, you're innovating in pursuit of efficiency. But one of the other things that happens in exchange traded derivatives markets, you're always bringing new products, new contracts to the marketplace, and you need to generate liquidity in those. Has your experience of doing that in the derivatives markets uh, taught you some lessons about how to overcome one of the big challenges in, in say, tokenized securities of generating liquidity? Uh, yes, I think that again uh, um, there are parallels in the two that can be that that can be adapted, uh, uh, and some definitely some of the lessons learned in uh, in the derivatives markets, especially in the more Customize the OTC exotic space apply to uh, to the current DLT markets. Uh, if you look at the liquidity spectrum in derivatives, again you go from uh, incredibly um, incredibly liquid uh, exchange traded contracts with central uh, central uh, clearing CCPs uh, uh, to uh, OTC bilateral trades that are very much customized and and. Uh, uh, the liquidity is uh, sometimes ex- exist only because uh, two counterparts are willing to trade. Uh, if you look at where we are at uh, in uh, in the development of liquidity in uh, in DLT based assets, we are very much on the same uh, on a, on a different scale, but on the same uh, uh, on the same spectrum where you have relatively uh, uh, liquid assets like you know cryptocurrency, the, the top crypto- cryptocurrencies. 
to very, uh, very customized, if you want, uh, products in the DeFi space and uh, where the liquidity is expressed in a completely different way from the central order book. Uh, in DeFi, strictly speaking, in the liquidity pool, uh, there isn't even a concept of a, of a central order book. It doesn't exist. So uh, when you look at uh, uh, the way OTC derivatives work, exactly the same thing. There is no central order book. Price discovery is, uh, is, uh, is carried out in a completely different way. It's more based on price formation, valuation, uh, and uh, the same thing happens in uh, in DLT. So I think that there are, there are a lot of lessons that can guide market practitioners uh, when looking at how to structure and develop liquidity in uh, in DLT-based securities. Now, I don't want to make this interview entirely about uh, what's going on in the derivatives markets, but um, do you see things happening in derivatives markets which are relevant or maybe interesting parallels for what we're trying to do in the securities tokens markets. I'm I'm thinking here of uh, there's been talk of uh, replacing central kind of clearing houses, for example, by a kind of peer-to-peer collateralization. And you do see you have seen that happening in the DeFi markets. It is I'm I'm whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. It's one of the things which FTX under under Sam Bankman Fried was was looking at doing. Um do you do you see developments like that as having legs as we move away from FTX and maybe start to rethink how DeFi will work? Uh, well, I guess that uh, uh, when we are looking at DeFi and, uh, uh, for example, as, as you mentioned, uh, collateralization and uh, uh, centralized risk uh, pools as expressed in the CCPs, uh, if you look at DeFi, it runs completely counter to that uh, centralization is being built explicitly not to have that that, that central uh, risk pools that are managed centrally by, by the members, either by mutualizing risk or, uh, uh, or sharing, uh, or sharing uh, risk mitigation processes. Um, however, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I think that uh, uh, there, are, uh, there are tools in places in the centralized uh, finance world that could benefit the development of uh, not, if not hybrid models, uh, but at least they could benefit the convergence between DeFi and central TradFi in that respect. And here the, uh, the, the operating world is convergence. And we will talk about this probably later in the interview. Um, uh, the, the FMIs, uh, I think, play, play a, a prime role in helping that convergence. And we're seeing that uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the FMI world uh, happening via uh, CCPs and CSDs adopting uh, DLT technologies to provide better tools, um, but also to provide a, a bridge into the DeFi in the DeFi space. I think that uh, the uh, some of these of these technologies and these techniques and these protocols could help greatly DeFi and DXs to reduce the need for uh, uh, collateral when, when transacting on a P2P basis. They could help uh, uh, better understanding uh, cross-protocol um, requirements in terms of uh, uh, margins and, uh, and, uh, and collateral. Um, I think that there are some interesting POCs that have been carried out across the industry. 
some of them, I think, can really lead the way to shortening uh, collateral chains and, uh, and facilitate risk compression. So uh, I think that, again, to answer your question, is a, is a convergent process where I think uh, the, uh, the, uh, the two worlds will, uh, will meet. Okay, it sounds like you see efficiency gains to be made in collateral and, well, margin calls in, in the industry as well, um, which I'm sure is true. Uh, now, back to the equity markets. Um, you've obviously spent quite a lot of your career in exchanges. You've been at London Stock Exchange and uh, a nicer Euronext as well as now you're at, at, at six. Have you brought to six as a result of that experience a very clear sense of what digital assets are going to do to or the opportunity they create for uh, traditional exchanges? And I'm thinking here particularly of the fact that traditional exchanges uh, have a problem, which is globally that IPOs are not um, taking place on the same scale as they used to. Uh, companies are delisting, private equity is on the rise. Uh, and even when companies do come to market, they've often, uh, most of the money has been taken off the table already by, by private equity funds. So they have a, a problem. They have obviously a great data business, but they do have a, a an issue in the at the heart of the business. Can digital assets transform their situation? We believe that they can, uh, and uh, the reason is that the market you just described has a, a, as an issue, uh, which is private markets are always being feeding deals and trades uh, into the uh, into the into the public markets, but in terms of infrastructure to support scale and uh, and make those markets more accessible, private markets are completely underserved. Uh, they are underserved by FMIs in general. There have been uh, very good attempts to, uh, to build, curate, grow, and guide uh, uh, private companies and SMEs uh, over the years. Uh, you mentioned uh, my, uh, my two previous employers. They have very good uh, programs to help uh, uh, SME companies uh, to um, to raise capital in uh, in financial markets. However, if we look at the detail, there are always feeders programs aimed at uh, ultimately make these companies go public. As I said, the the the, the trend is against that, and uh, uh, that has created a lack of uh, support in general from FMIs into uh, into um, in, for private private markets and uh, helping helping investors and entrepreneurs raising capital, and uh, they haven't worked uh, well in reducing the distance between investors and uh, those capital opportunities. So. Uh, Private markets require the infrastructure, and infrastructure has to be equally, um, equally robust and equally scalable as it is in public markets. And uh, and again, we have saw we have, in my opinion, jumped a a generation of innovation in providing services to uh, to private markets. So there are an underserviced uh, segment of capital markets. So now we have this opportunity presented to us as FMIs by the technology and DLT uh, 
almost by coincidence, more than design, uh, provides uh, the the uh, the possibility to deliver a lot of efficiency and actually uh, uh, provide infrastructure that is robust and uh, and uh, also provides the same efficiencies as I was alluding before in terms expressed as in terms of uh, cost reduction, uh, better user experience, and uh, and uh, and preservation of margins that the uh, the uh, the public markets can clearly uh, you know there are examples already of of uh, of this uh, that are nearly invisible to us there are companies that uh, uh, go public now uh, and you discover that they've been they've been private for 20 years and those 20 years something must have happened they must have raised capital somewhere. Uh, they must have uh, uh, re, uh, uh, reorganized their uh, their uh, their investors base, reorganized their um, their cap table. They must have issued private bonds, perhaps, or asked for for loans. So all that happened on a bilateral, uh, uh, private way, almost. Uh, with a very complex chain of intermediaries in between. And yet again, uh, at the end, what you offer to your investor beyond the, inv the direct investment in your company is a piece of paper that can't be really used. It's not really bankable in, in certain terms. Um, it's not part of the classic banking world. Uh, simple things like uh, uh, ownership, chains uh, or, or ownership titles are a nightmare to maintain. Now, it strikes me that a, uh, a ledger-based technology that relies on, uh, on very simple <clears throat> encrypted records that can, can keep that and where you can embed through smart contracts, for example, which are, okay, again, an innovation within the DLT, that use smart contracts to automate a lot of the process of the maintenance of these uh, of these uh, of these uh, of the securities, and then make these securities available in the banking system is a much better mousetrap than what we currently have. So, I think that the future is uh, more usage of DLT, and we will see entire uh, uh, life cycle maintenance flows. Um, of private equities maintained on 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 DLT systems. Can I just unravel um, a lot of what you've said about about private markets by asking you this? Uh, on the one hand, what you're saying suggests that the the and this could apply to any stock exchange, not just to six, need to restructure their proposition to the private equity industry instead of saying, well. Um, come and cash out your your investment by by an IPO. You're actually looking to change the proposition to them and saying, well, here is a different technology, a different technique um, for for funding your your proposition. So you're offering something slightly different to private equity. And then there's this broader proposition that there are all those private companies out there who may never have taken in private equity capital, uh, may never have thought of of uh, of an IPO. But are raising capital, as you say, both debt and equity in forms which are not very liquid and in forms which they can't really use as collateral for, for anything else. So you're actually um, 
entering the private market space at more than one level. If this is bigger than private equity, this is about the whole of the privately managed company sector, right? And on a global scale. Yes, it is. It is uh, a new proposition. Is not a uh, an enhancement of a of a of an old way of think, doing things. As I said, it is about creating an ecosystem for private private capital raise. Is about uh, 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 supporting the funding journey of companies. Um, is about providing also liquidity when needed, without the necessity to go public providing, for example, support uh, uh, for uh, um, options or phantom shares, uh, uh, reward schemes um, in, uh, in, uh, in companies, uh, in incentive, um, incentive schemes for companies. It's about providing liquidity, for example, for uh, um, minority investors who want to uh, perhaps uh, monetize uh, a um, their, uh, their, their stakes in these private companies, uh, founder investors who want early exits. Um, we are creating all this. And as, as I say, it's a, it's a much larger scale, but also it is a thought after, uh, a, 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 a thought through process that, that guides and supports and curates the, uh, the the fundraising activity, the financing activities of of companies, uh, hopefully from pre seed all the way through to maturity. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll um, I'll 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 come back to that that very point about process and what what you can do to help these companies. But just so I'm absolutely clear here, we're not saying to these privately managed companies, well, um, you might not want to do an IPO, but why don't you do an STO instead? It's actually much more flexible as a proposition than that. There are lots of different uh, forms of capital raising instrument, which the DLT technology makes possible in a way that conventional equity and debt don't, like sharing net profits or or revenues, uh, allowing minority groups to to take money off the table and so on. That's really what you're saying. And that's what what the the SDX focus now on on what, what are popularly called SMEs is, right? Yes. And, uh, and I think that uh, uh, it's very important to, to highlight uh, this, is that what we're trying to do, we're also trying to recycle some, some tried and tested processes that work perfectly well, but need to be enhanced and, and made better through, through the technology and to create a, a completely new proposition. Uh, for example, one of the things that uh, uh, we are looking at uh, is exactly the, uh, the format. Uh, our uh, uh, our private markets are starting off by uh, by doing classical uh, bonds and 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 equity capital, so shares. What the DLT and the DLT law in Switzerland allows us uh, allowed to do is uh, for companies to uh, issue intermediated securities um, in uh, um, in dematerialized form. And that helps us to take these dematerialized securities, turn them into the equivalent of a, of a share, uh, and digitize them. And, uh, uh, in, and, uh, and, and deposit them and transfer them, uh, make, them uh, make them available for deposit and transfer 
uh, on the nodes of our of our uh, custody and custody and issuer agent members. Now, the uh, what you're getting for all intents and purposes is uh, a share in a company. But the but the technology and the wrapper underpinning that technology is a B, is a DLT based artifact, is a is a, crypto, a cryptographic and encrypted uh, uh, entity that is uh, uh, that sits on a traditional on now traditional <laughs> DLT uh, DLT network. At the moment, we're doing that within our own uh, our own private private chain. We have a, a walled garden. It's our own uh, private chain that runs on Ethereum, uh, and uh, we have uh, a uh, uh, an implementation provided by Corda, for example, to to run uh, custody and transfer of these assets on our nodes uh, and where our um, our members maintain maintain the nodes on the network is a permissioned. Uh, um, as a permission network, but we see that as a uh, a one way to start transitioning and start building this world where uh, uh, private uh, private companies can can uh, can tap into into uh, further sources of capital for their development, and we're making that journey relatively simple. Uh, they. All they need is an issuer agent who is one of our members on uh, on uh, on our network that will basically fill in what we call an asset definition form uh, and uh, uh, and then uh, create a digital asset that is transferable and settleable uh, on the uh, on our network. Uh, we allow uh, settlement atomic settlement. We allow we allow uh, DVP or even uh, delivery free of payment of these assets. The uh, the uh, the issuer agents and the and the banks involved in transactions decide that uh, we allow uh, these transactions to be carried out uh, bilaterally among counterparts. Uh, but for example, we ask uh, the uh, we maintain we maintain processes and checks and balances that you would expect from a from an exchange. Uh, in terms of uh, of due diligence run on the issuers on the issuers, KYC the KYC is performed by the uh, by the members on the network on their clients, suitability checks, and all the uh, compliance regulatory and legal checks that are required to maintain uh, to maintain these assets um, within a regulated uh, a regulated framework. Now, in terms of making these companies investable in the in the way that you have described, and you've mentioned that you want to repurpose some of the existing intermediary functions, um, and that could mean a lot of things. But one of the obvious things is that a company being prepared to go public would work with an investment bank, with brokers, with marketing agents, with lawyers. Um, to what extent can you, as an exchange, get involved in making these private companies more investable? And thereby accelerate the growth of your own business. Well, the uh, uh, when we say making these companies more investable, we uh, we participate in the process, and the process itself helps making these uh, companies more attractive to a wider audience of investors. Although in a private in a private setting, 
distribution, it's easier. Uh, the, as I said, our members are mandated to carry out the due diligence on the issuing companies and due diligence on the investors. Uh, so KYCs and, as I said before, AML measures are, are the standardized measures that you would accept, expect uh, in, a, uh, in a regulated environment. And uh, those checks and balances, that due diligence, uh, that uh, robustness of process that is simple and, and more, more uh, uh, streamlined by using uh, digital, digital records, in this case, uh, um, tokens on a, on, a, on a distributed ledger, makes them more investable. Uh, title chains, uh, again, registrations in, uh, in, uh, in, in commercial registries, uh, all the uh, company records can be easily integrated in, uh, in the each one's process by creating digital artifacts. Uh, they can be uh, managed through uh, uh, using a token for validation, for example. We can automate uh, through smart contracts the whole chain of, uh, uh, of checks that need to be performed in a way that is perhaps a lot more dynamic than what you have at the moment where a lot of these processes are carried out based on, on some sequential algorithms. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that the other, the, the other big advantage of this approach is that once the company is, uh, is, uh, is digitized and present on our network, there is no necessity to access a, a central database where you continuously pull or push information. Every time something happens, an event happens on that security is automatically propagated throughout the network and visible to all the members of the, uh, of the network. So all of that communication is missing right now. Companies don't have that kind of, uh, of, uh, of tool to, to inform their investors, inform their advisors, inform their issuer agents of any corporate changes, for example, all of that is missing. Mm -hmm. Now we have better tools and we will build even better tools in the future to capture all those changes so they can be uh, propagated throughout all the investors. And in my opinion, a company that communicates better and in more, uh, and in more consistent way, also tends to have better investment success. There is a very high correlation between the way, uh, the way uh, company information, corporate information is propagated to the investors and the success of companies. So we think that that, that possibility to communicate better and, and more directly with investors through fewer intermediaries uh, makes the companies more attractive and more investable. Clearly, uh, as I said, we can't intervene on, on, yeah. on, so, on more than go beyond that, and you know the uh, the uh, ultimately the interest the, the, a company is uh, is investable in its own merits and in the merits of the uh, of the uh, of of their uh, of their business and their idea. But if we can take away a lot of the work that is actually now invested by company founders, by owners, uh, by, by entrepreneurs in maintaining all that information, in making sure that it's communicated to investors um, and to intermediaries. Uh, if we can take a, a, a little, even a little bit of that away from them and make the interaction better, then 
that is all time that can be reinvested in making the company successful. You're also describing a, a platform or a set of tools which issuers and their advisors can use uh, to do these capital raising exercises at, at, at lower cost. What you're not saying is that, yes, we're getting into the corporate advisory business and help make companies uh, uh, more investable. That's not your business. You're just there to provide the platform which, yes. which those third-party advisors can use on behalf of their clients or the clients as issuers can use directly themselves. Um, I, I think you've made that that clear, and I hope I'm right to suggest that's what you're saying. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, again, and and thanks for pointing it out. It's clearly uh, we are not moving into uh, uh, corporate advising or, uh, uh, but we want to fulfill our role as an FMI in making that interaction as as uh, uh, as smooth as possible. There are, there are also barriers to entry at the moment for advisors and uh, potential intermediaries in some of parts of this interaction uh, because they don't have effective tools to access uh, investment opportunities or investors mm -hmm. uh, because there is no infrastructure to do it. There is no uh, no seamless tools to connect to investors. We hope to be able to provide that. But no, our, our role is to provide in the infrastructure and provide the this sort of um, tools to uh, to to um, to execute this convergence between these two worlds. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned repurposing existing functions. Uh, the SDX Group itself, for example, has has a has a digital CSD as part of its part of its offering. And if we look at the traditional securities markets or, uh, and how blockchain was meant to disintermediate functions like CSDs, custodian banks, registration. It seems to be some kind of rediscovery that these things are, these services are actually useful, not just in the traditional markets, but actually in helping the securities markets to grow. To be specific, do you think that having um, a, an independent registrar, for example, will encourage more issuers to come and more investors to come to a digitized uh, asset market? Uh, we do. We think that uh, uh, share registry companies and share registrars and companies uh, using BLT technology to digitize uh, share registry um, and, and corporate governance, uh, um, the maintenance and, uh, and execution of corporate actions uh, have a very important role to play. Because as I said, uh, there, there'll be points where these kind of of uh, of, uh, of actions might might be centralized. We we don't know yet, but surely um, there is a, uh, there is an indication at the moment that share registrars will fulfill a lot of those functions. Uh, we have partnerships with uh, with um, with fintech companies providing. DLT-based uh, share registries. Uh, we are building, uh, one of the things we are doing, we are building uh, uh, a, uh, a connectivity for them to uh, contribute and, and, uh, and get data from our platforms, but also link straight into our custody, our custody systems. We are looking at solutions that will allow uh, issuers to elect 
uh, 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 share registry, an, a DLT-based share registry that uh, is linked to our uh, to our CSD members uh, as their um, share registry uh, service, and that will cascade the information from the issuer all the way down to the uh, the um, the depository bank. Uh, uh, the records will be automatically of transfers will be automatically updated, and then all that information will flow back into the into the uh, into the uh, share registry, and as a consequence, will be in in, in real time queryable uh, by the uh, by the um, by the company itself and all the advisors of the company who have access to that. So the share the uh, the uh, the company has a a. a an up-to-date uh, um, picture of its registry at, at the, every time. And that, as you know, helps a lot of uh, other downstream processes. Um, and also the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the big advantage here is that we are trying to remove and automate the, uh, the update of these records by, by the depository banks or by the investors themselves. So not to force them to have uh, a manual message going through to the share registry company or the company directly that then has to update the, the records in the share registry. Um, so we are trying to remove all that and to automate uh, uh, the, uh, the process that, so that it draws from one central uh, center of trust. So when the record changes the same principle of the uh, of the uh, of the digital ledger uh, that we operate applies externally all the records within the share registry are updated mm -hmm. so yes we think that external uh, share registry companies play an a very important role and they, and this is one of the services that we are looking to uh, automate. We are uh, on the way. Uh, I think that we should be able to um, push out at least the first version of that automation next uh, or partial automation next year. So registrars continue, but not in the way that we have come to know and love. You mentioned partnerships and you've, you've formed quite a few of these. And I'd like to just to explore um, how those relationships work with you. Perhaps we could start with um, the partnership you have with Daura and uh, the Berner Cantonal Bank. Now, I assume that, that BKB brings a, a kind of client flow. Um, Daura sounded to me, well, the services they provide sounded to me very comparable to what the DTCC is trying to do with its digital securities management platform that it's building for the, the privately managed asset markets. Am I right to, to ascribe those um, functions to BKB and to Dara, and how do the partnerships work in practice? Whether I've got it right or not. Well, the uh, the roles are are distinct, but they they sort of overlap in certain areas. And uh, uh, BKB is uh, joining uh, SDX as a member. So, as a member of the exchange, they will act uh, um, in their capacity as. Uh, um, issuer agents, depository and payment agent. They can elect to perform the three, uh, the three, uh, the three functions within our- uh, So I had that wrong. They're not, they're not bringing you know, clients from their canton to the marketplace. They're actually providing services. They are, provide, they are providing services on our platform. Then mm -hmm. 
as you know, uh, BKB has uh, a fairly uh, important presence already in, in private markets. They have uh, uh, two platforms, two OTFs out there, uh, where uh, they uh, maintain markets uh, in private equities and privately held companies, not non-listed companies, and on structured products. Uh, so in a, in a way, they are providing secondary liquidity for these, uh, for these issues. And uh, one of the possibilities is that uh, uh, at a later stage of uh, the development of the relationship, the, the, uh, these platforms might be linked into our, uh, uh, into our CSD. So the settlement of, uh, uh, of, uh, of some of, the, uh, of, these, um, of these private companies will act to issue uh, digital securities within our uh, within our uh, our exchange uh, can be performed on our uh, uh, on our csd so all the all the secondary all, all the secondary liquidity all the trades uh, on the secondary market could then be uh, um, settled on our csd but that is one of the uh, of the possibilities going forward at the at the moment bernard cantonal bank is uh, uh, is clearly uh, interested in leveraging their position in uh, in private markets uh, to help new companies issuing um, issuing uh, private equities in digitized form, mm -hmm. okay. and so, be so part of that of that uh, and be part of that market in in providing further <clears throat> services uh, down the road. Mm -hmm. um, Daura, as you described, is uh, a uh, is basically a fintech. A very smart fintech that provides, uh, uh, um, among other things, share registries, uh, um, uh, custody of DLT securities, uh, and pure tokenization. Um, they uh, they work very closely with uh, with BKB, so they provide a bridge uh, from their DLT securities uh, into uh, the the banking world, and may and. The, the plan is clearly uh, to, to make some of these DLT-based securities bankable by bringing them into, uh, into, uh, into our CSD. Um, so it's, it's a way for us to uh, load our platform with, uh, with new assets. So the cooperation is, uh, is, um, is, based on, is based on those terms. Now you've also got these partnerships with uh, with Equitech and Actionariat. Uh, I noticed that Equitech in particular helped F10 in that private placement that, uh, of of tokenized shares in SDX um, as a digital CSD. They were they they helped in that transaction. So how does how do those two relationships work with Equitech Actionariat? What are you well, getting out uh, of them? Well, again. And they're getting out of you as well, of course. So the uh, the uh, the um, the role of Equitech in that transaction was to provide uh, um, DLT-based share registry for F10. So uh, just F10, what you were describing earlier, then. Mm -hmm. Yes, the role the role I was describing the, the role I was describing earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are one of the uh, of our partners, uh, and uh, uh, they are providing share registry for F10. At the moment, the process is still not automated, but that's exactly the spirit of the partnership is that we are driving together uh, to, uh, to deliver that automation I was describing before 
next year. Uh, Accelerate um, is uh, the, the partnership is also uh, along the same lines. Accelerate provides share registry. Uh, they provide their own uh, secondary liquidity to the uh, companies that uh, issue DLT-based securities on their platform. Um, what we are looking to do is to build a uh, uh, the 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 optionality for their uh, issuers and investors to uh, take those DLT-based securities and transform them into uh, intermediated uncertificated securities on our network so they can be settled um, uh, in, um, by the banking system and can be settled that the advantage for the investors is that in that case they wouldn't have to maintain a uh, a separate uh, a separate uh, uh, custody uh, um, uh, wallet or custody uh, place. They can use their uh, their um, their bank account, the banking account, and their uh, and their and um, and their uh, uh, deposit account, security deposit account with their bank. Just as they would have this, an account with 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 uh, SDX as a CSD. Yeah, they would have to they uh, they would have to be client of one of the banks who are uh, on uh, on our network uh, as member. But again, we cover about ninety percent of uh, of uh, of the Swiss banking uh, clients. Our members are. As you know, Credit Suisse, UBS, Zurcher Cantonal Bank, BKB, and uh, and um, and CM Equities, um, investors, investors, and uh, and retail clients would normally have a, one would hope an account with one of these banks. If they don't, uh, I can only urge them to ask their banks to become members of SDX. But I, I, to be clear here, it sounds as if this relationship makes it more convenient and more familiar for the more conservative and more established financial institutions to get involved in this market because they can go through a banking system and a CSD account system that they are familiar with, right? Correct. That Again, this is about the convergence I was talking yes, about. you mentioned there, convergence, is the, yeah. Is the... Uh, is the is this way to provide uh, for ex tried and tested processes that people are familiar with, but uh, providing them with a new technology engine. And we want that in engine to be completely invisible, by the way. Uh, the user experience has to be uh, either enhanced or being as equally as good as what they have now. Uh, the uh, the uh, the gains for the for the users is exactly that: is that there is a certain familiarity, there is a certain uh, um, consistency in the processes as they are as they are now. So, in the case of Accelerate, as I said, this would be a one of the uh, of the options that they would provide to their issuers and to their and to their clients. And uh, and again, I think that. The uh, the uh, for uh, for uh, for companies like Yacht, what that represents is a way to expand reach, and uh, uh, and uh, for the companies who issue with Accelerat, uh, the uh, expand the uh, the uh, the investors base. For the banks, 
expands the uh, the uh, if you want the addressable uh, the the addressable market uh, in a way that doesn't force them to take massive jumps away from established processes and also take risks in a way in terms of uh, or excessive risk in a way of uh, of uh, entering uh, new markets they can use they can use our processes to start going into that direction uh, without too much risk and the, and the thing is that the banks con still control that process because as i said before kyc uh, aml uh, due diligence is still uh, is still reflected by them in in the process of accepting an investor or accepting an issuer on on that question of convergence and i'm talking here at a high strategic level six has obviously invested heavily in building these digital asset capabilities but its view could have been uh we kind of need to hedge our bets because what if digital assets overtake our traditional uh securities business we'll we'll have this thing and and we'll be in a good position to to survive any disruption of schools well they could take the view that this gives us access to a whole lot of new assets um new markets and therefore we'll be able to grow our business alongside our, our traditional or they could take the view that in some at some point over some period of time and in the future these these two markets are going to converge do you think that's the the strategic bet which six has now placed is actually the digital asset and traditional asset markets are going over time to converge well i guess the strategic bet was uh, uh is another one uh clearly is the fact that these digital uh, technologies are going to change the way FMI operates. Uh, they, they present clear and tangible uh, benefits uh, for, for investors and, for, um, and, and in general for any users of, uh, of, uh, of uh, financial markets from payment services all the way down to investments and that uh, the group could uh, wait and do nothing and be then forced by his clients or market dynamics or simple economic circumstances to uh, to go into into these new technologies and adopt these new technologies or they could decide to take the lead lead and shape this change. So this is, this is what uh, across the group has changed the, uh, the, the thinking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, the expression of that uh, at group level is SDX, but also a lot of other initiatives that connect into these new technologies across data, payment services, and so on and so forth. Now, if we bring that down to our level um, where we operate in terms of, of, uh, of capital markets, uh, I sound like a broken record. Uh, convergence is the, is the key word here. We are realizing that, and I made examples, uh, there are processes that are perfectly good and work perfectly well, but can be enhanced and can be used to provide better experience, better use experiences in, if enhanced with these, uh, uh, with these technologies. Mm -hmm. There is also a, uh, a, another 
aspect that is more important and is more long-term and is more where the vision is going is that uh, public blockchain, DeFi, decentralized exchanges are not going to go away. But they need the expertise, the, uh, uh, the processes, the, uh, the familiarity that traditional financial players and more specifically FMIs have with providing consistent processes, with providing trust, with providing regulated, regulated uh, uh, environments in responding to um, governance and um, governance and uh, and compliance uh, um, frameworks, in centralizing some of these processes. By the same time, we recognize that we need the technology that is being developed by, by in DeFi. We need, uh, we are confronted with new thinking that we need to, we cannot ignore. So we, we either help that transition and provide the right tools and we lead and we shape this, this narrative or otherwise, I think we're going to be submerged by it as FMIs. But also, again, it speaks to our historical role. FMIs are there for a reason to provide to provide infrastructure for financial markets. There, there just happens to be new financial markets that will be catering in a different way for different needs in the future that we simply cannot ignore. Mm-hmm. But the two cannot live uh, in isolation. Uh, they, they cannot even, they can even coexist. I think that they will need to come together. And again, we are, uh, we are there to provide that to help, to help that transition in both ways. Now, if you, as in, you used the words lead and shape there, as well as about talking about about convergence. And as as you look forward, in the way in which the the strategy will unfold over time, if you like, is um, is SDX here um, orchestrating that change? It's building this ecosystem. You've got these partnerships. You believe that these existing intermediary functions will survive, albeit in in altered forms. So, is the, is the vision here ultimately a kind of networked? industry which in which sdx is of which sdx is a part or is it going to be a network which sdx is itself building and creating this uh, i think network is the right word i could use the word um ecosystem um but it does does sdx become part of a wider network or does it shape and lead a network of its own and bring along all these other forces and players as a result of these powerful secular forces, which you've described very articulately you know, about technology, about the decline of IPOs, uh, the need for you know, private companies to access new forms of capital ways uh, and finance their businesses in, in new ways. These are all powerful forces to which you're responding. To what extent can this network be your creation as opposed to you being simply part of it? Well, Sorry, it's a very long uh, and complicated question there. But you're you're <laughs> you're uh, you're asking you're asking me uh, um, 
to gaze in my uh, in my crystal, crystal ball. ball. Yes, yeah. Uh, so it's a very uh, you know. Um, uh, I think that we are discovering new things all the time, and that is what is exciting of being being involved in uh, in 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 capital markets at the moment. In is is a very exciting moment because we are we are restarted discovering new things and new ways of of doing things. Um, I think that if we have if we look at uh, the world at the moment, chances are that not only SDX but FMIs in general will be uh, part of a vast network. And. Uh, uh, but they will uh, have, in my opinion, a, uh, a very important role to play in shaping and influencing the way that, net, that the network works. Um, there are functions that can be centralized uh, or will have to be centralized on that network, uh, things like you know, who owns the trust, who permissions certain actions and certain functions, uh, who will make sure that, uh, uh, you know, certain, certain compliance permissions or certain regulatory uh, uh, rules are, are respected. That will probably need to be centralized. They won't be won't be uh, uh, decentralized across the network. So you will probably need these centers of trust that still exist. And I think that FMIs will be that, and they will provide uh, uh, the, the infrastructure to the rest of the network to, to carry out that, uh, that function. Mm -hmm. So we can see already some areas where FMIs will provide, uh, uh, will be part, will be a node in that network, and uh, uh, they will they will provide uh, some centralized functions. The other, uh, if you extrapolate for that, you can think of a future where uh, you know there will be uh, a necessity, perhaps, to uh, provide some sort of uh, 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 sub-networked uh, settlement or clearing functions uh, that cannot be relied upon in peer-to-peer -peer exchanges in uh, in uh, in bilateral in bilateral transactions that need to be uh, that need to be still centralized and performed by a center of a center of trust. Um, then, if you look at the how what comes before that is liquidity, is transactions. Where does that liquidity takes place? Can FMIs help that liquidity developing, or that is that liquidity better served by the network itself, uh, free and unconstrained to, to develop that liquidity as they want and as they wish? And exchanges will perform only post-trade, what we call now traditional post-trade post functions. I'm sure they will be different. Um, will the exchanges maintain uh, ledgers where specific transactions are uh, are validated or uh, or permissioned um, so to answer your question we think that fmis in general will become nodes in that network then 
as you know, not all nodes are created equal. Some nodes are larger, some nodes are smaller. Some nodes will perhaps uh, provide specific services. Um, but I think it's gonna be, uh, we're gonna be part of a, of a, of a wider network. Mm -hmm. Just back on planet Earth, are there concrete synergies now between what SDX does and what 6SIS does? Or do you at this present operate mainly in separate silos? Well, at the moment we um, we operate in separate silos. As you know, uh, SDX is uh, is an independent entity uh, within within the group. We have our own separate uh, regulatory license with Finma, so we are regulated. Uh, the, the, our CSD and our markets are regulated uh, separately from from Six as a separate exchange. Then clearly internal, uh, there are a lot of, uh, of synergies that we can leverage on that have been built um, with the traditional world uh, or with the, with, with the rest of the, uh, of the, uh, of the group. Uh, certainly we are learning a lot uh, and uh, a lot of these lessons are, are clearly being leveraged upon by the rest of the group. Uh, also, I would like to point out that the uh, the the activity, the, the, say the, the the blockchain technology DLT activity of the group is not only confined to to SDX within the group. There are other areas and other divisions who are looking at these technologies and are already using and building services based on these technologies. But I think that. Uh, different centers of of knowledge and and skills and and uh, and competence uh, within the group uh, slowly slowly are trying to get together and and uh, and they will leverage certainly leverage on each other. Can I ask you a very basic question now about how you go about finding uh, issuers? You you've touched on this in a number of ways, and you you you've certainly described very clearly how the services you you provide help to cut the costs of. Of raising um, capital, and you've described very clearly how uh, that doesn't necessarily mean disintermediating all the functions of the traditional securities uh, markets. I've noticed you're working with with CM Equity, which is a I think I'm right to say as a German introducing broker or um, corporate advisor with a speciality in 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 the digital asset area. Um, is that is that is relationships like that how you think you're going to find um, the deal flow, if you like, of of issuers going forward? Well, at the moment, yes, we are relying on internal counterparts, uh, external counterparts. Sorry, to um, mm -hmm. provide the deal flow of uh, of issuers. Um, we want to enhance that. Uh, we want to have more partners that uh, uh, can potentially pro uh, provide flow into our platform. However, uh, uh, as you know, and that's a lesson from the uh, from the old world. Uh, exchanges uh, uh, across the piece are fairly active in scouting and selling their issuance services and their primary uh, markets to issuers directly. The London Stock Exchange is, for example, an example of that, and, and other exchanges do too. Are we going um, to start down the same, uh, the same route? Uh, possible. Uh, if, we see, if we see a benefit uh, for, the, uh, for the whole ecosystem and for the community uh, of us 
uh, being more active in uh, in uh, in marketing uh in in marketing directly to issuers which is something that we already do in a in a sense but in a very restrictive in a very restricted and very small way whether we're going to go into that uh it's a possibility we would certainly do it though with our uh with our partners and with our members mm-hmm. and those issuers are impressed when you talk to them by the possibility of cutting the costs of capital i'm sure Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, whether that, that argument is failing to land, I'd be interested to know. But how much do they care about other things like custody, by which I mean the, the servicing of, of, of the assets, the payment of, of dividends to their investors? How much do they care about secondary market trading, the, the place where the price is put on, on their, uh, their instruments? How much do they care about those things as opposed to simply getting cheaper capital? And there are um, the asset servicing part of it is becoming more and more important because they do realize that uh, uh, it's uh, it's a cost. It's a cost that they have to maintain long term is a recurrent cost that they have. Um, In terms of the secondary market, it's interesting. Some issuers uh, want or would like to have a secondary market on their uh, on their shares. Some some founders, and very recently we spoke to a couple of them, uh, go like, why would I want a secondary market on my um, on the shares of my company? Uh, it's not in my interest. It's not in the interest of the company. It's not in the interest of the other shareholders. Uh, we don't think it's a uh, it's it's a requirement for us. All the founders we talk to and we 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 do research with uh, seem to indicate that they like the principle of secondary liquidity, but they like also the uh, the um, the idea that they can control that liquidity one way or the other. So, in a sense, for example, they can they can potentially whitelist investors that can transact on 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 the shares they can agree with the boards in terms of access to those secondary markets they can for example um, create specific uh, liquidity events for their for their for their shares um, so I think that uh, there is, uh, to answer your question, there is uh, a, a more heightened awareness of the benefits of the uh, asset maintenance piece. Uh, and there seems to be a consensus that uh, it is something that we need to address because it makes up it makes a difference. Uh, it makes a difference in terms of uh, of cost because a lot of that cost is sometimes embedded in fundraising. <laughs> so uh, um, the uh, the uh, uh, you know there is a, a cost associated uh, to that um, long term. Mm-hmm. In the secondary market, it's it's less clear. It's less clear. Uh, some of uh, some some issuers see it as a massive benefit some of them like a nice to have and some of them are completely against it because they think it's a distraction mm-hmm. now you need investors as well and how much do they care about secondary market liquidity and custody how important how valuable is it to them to know that they can sell what they're holding the liquidity is there and that they can be confident those assets are 
being kept safely and yes their dividends when they're paid will be paid on time well is there a clash of interests here between issuers and investors when you ask well 80 percent of investors want secondary liquidity however uh when you drop down and you drill down exactly on what they mean with secondary liquidity, you will notice that uh, they have, uh, uh, you know, they don't all mean, oh, we want a, a central order book uh, where we can, we can transact. A small percentage of investors don't care because they say we invest long term in these companies. We have a close enough uh, relationship with the founders and with the boards of these companies. So we can create our own liquidity when it's needed. But also there is, again, the, the, it depends, it depends the, uh, the, the type of investors, investors that are, uh, you know, the classical VC investors that invest long-term, they're not too, um, they're not too uh, too bothered to have regular secondary liquidity. They say, as long as I have an efficient way for my exit, uh, that doesn't force the company I invested in to go public, then it's fine with me. But I certainly don't need a, a uh, you know a, a, a continuous auction-based central order book uh, for my, to support my investment because we don't we, we just don't invest like that right and how important uh, you're obviously growing this business it's founded in switzerland it's growing in switzerland how important in creating this relatively mature digital asset market in switzerland has been the developments in swiss law do you think that stx could be doing what it's doing without that legal underpinning well, DLT law has changed uh, uh, corporate law, if you want, in Switzerland more than uh, financial market law uh, or, or regulatory. So uh, I think that in, uh, it has enabled uh, for us, uh, the, the, the law has enabled the possibility for us to offer new services, such as uh, a, uh, an exchange, a regulated exchange-based uh, uh, market for um, digital securities. The uh, the law has brought about uh, uh, changes in um, in the way uh, um, companies can issue shares and the type of shares they can issue, and uh, also has. Uh, provided a, uh, uh, a rail for the recognition of uh, DLT securities. That has then caused uh, a change uh, in the code of obligations of these companies. That is really the, uh, the key element of the legislation that enables the, uh, the possibility to issue uh, uh, equity or debt uh, sometimes in, uh, in digitized format. So I guess that the, uh, the, uh, to answer your question, it has enabled a lot of the things we do. And also the, uh, the, uh, it has enabled uh, uh, the design of new actors, such as 
you know, DLT share registries and things like that to come into, into the marketplace. Have you been able to size this opportunity, by which I mean this focus on, you know, privately managed companies, for example, either size it in Switzerland or Europe or indeed the world, or is it, would that be a fool's errand? Uh, no, no, we, we, we have sized the, uh, the market opportunity, uh, although it is, it is difficult, it doesn't make it a fool's errand. Uh, mm. It doesn't make it a complete pointless exercise, actually, quite the contrary, but it is difficult to, to frame the data you get and, to, and, and also the way, the context in which you interpret that data. However, just a, a few data points for the Swiss market, and, and we are very focused on the Swiss market because we wanna, you know, we wanna learn to walk before we run. And uh, in, uh, in Switzerland last year, there were uh, recorded officially 350 funding rounds uh, carried out in the private markets. Uh, we, as an exchange, uh, a traditional exchange or now digital exchange in operation uh, for exactly 12 months have seen the, the grand total of zero of those funding rounds. Um, so that is uh, uh, our, you know, our baseline. These are the recorded, officially recorded uh, uh, funding rounds uh, uh, in several public publications and, and databases. And these are mostly uh, confined to uh, seed and uh, series A's and B's. Uh, on top of that, uh, we have all the funding and uh, all the funding and capital raise activity of more mature SMEs that are using uh, private capital for growth or uh, banking banking facilities, loans uh, for, uh, for short and medium term, medium term capital. That is, more, that is data that is more difficult to get, but we think is, uh, uh, it runs in tens of thousands of transactions every year in, in Switzerland only. So there is uh, in, in Switzerland only a substantial addressable market for us. Um, we are very conservative on our estimates. Uh, for us, success would be start capturing on a regular basis part of these uh, uh, early stage funding rounds. I have one final question for you, uh, Massimo. It's a, um, a high level one, I suppose. If we look, look at what's happened in the cryptocurrency markets since November last year, uh, it's been a, a rather sorry story culminating in the in the uh, collapse of, of FTX, which has shaken confidence in those markets to a degree previous events seem not to have done. Yet last week, we, we heard, you know, the chief executive of BlackRock, Larry Fink, say that uh, the next generation for markets, the next generation for securities will be tokenization of securities. So is it safe to say that the, uh, the blockchain technology in the instance of tokenizing securities or other types of financial system, has successfully decoupled itself 
from the cryptocurrency markets. It now has an independent existence and will succeed or fail on its own terms and have nothing to do with what's happening in the cryptocurrency markets. Is that the point we've reached? Yes, I think we are uh, We are at that point. Uh, I think that uh, we what we've witnessed uh, in the last uh, four or five weeks uh, points to uh, a view that the technology is a separate is a separate separated item in this in this discussion. If you look at the uh, at the failures of FT uh, of uh, of, uh, of FTX, it's a very traditional failure. If you <laughs> if you look at it, uh, based on leverage, uh, poor governance, uh, poor controls, poor checks and balances. Uh, the list is very long and, you know, um, certainly it's been widely reported upon. Mm. I don't think that that has tarnished the value proposition of the technology, but more importantly, has tarnished the value proposition of building an ecosystem around these assets. So I think that, yes, we are at a point where now the two things have been decoupled and where the technology has been seen uh, and consider on its own merits and on the advantages and the promises that it holds for, for the future. That's a great point to end on. Uh, Massimo Bucci, thank you very much for taking so much time to share with us your knowledge and your insights and indeed your prognostications for the future. Thank you. Thank you.